it's nothing new to have allies to help black women and to help black people. And they're necessary because, you know, unfortunately, black women just don't have enough power in this country to drive change on our own. Welcome to FYI, the Public Libraries podcast. I'm Kathleen Hughes with the Public Library Association. Today, we are talking with Leisha Michelle. Leisha is a longtime librarian, activist, and author. Her forthcoming book, The White Allies Handbook, Four Weeks to Join the Racial Justice Fight for Black Women, published by Kensington Books, will be on sale July 26, 2022. The book is a practical, actionable, explicit guide for people looking to not just start a conversation, but to take concrete steps toward equality. Hi, Leisha. Welcome to the FYI podcast. Thank you for having me. So ally is a term that we hear a lot. What does it mean to be an ally and what are some common misconceptions? To be an ally means that you are in constant motion, and that's really important. You are regularly checking in with yourself just to make sure that you're doing actual ally work that's not centering your feelings or centering your own needs as a white person. You're constantly focused on the actual work of anti-racism. You're also educating yourself just to make sure that you're improving on your own understanding of what racism is, and also making sure that you know and acknowledge that you're part of the system of systemic racism and white supremacy and that you benefit from it. And you readily admit that. And that's a, you know, a really difficult thing to ask white people to do, but it's a really important thing. It also means educating other white people constantly and confronting racism any place you see it. And that includes your family and friends. Again, that's a really hard thing to ask, but it is very, very important work when it comes to allyship. There are lots of misconceptions about an ally. Um, I'm just going to list off a couple of ones that I hear all the time. People assume that if they've read like the top 10 anti-racism books, that they are automatically an ally. And that is very, very far from the truth. Because if you're just reading information, but you're not doing anything with it, you're not educating other people, you're not really doing the deep dive to kind of address your own racism, then you're just collecting information. You're not an ally. Another misconception is, and I hear this a lot, and for some reason I've heard it a lot recently, people think that if they're a good person, they're automatically an ally. Allyship has nothing to do with whether or not you're nice or good. It has everything to do with whether or not you're educating yourself and then making sure you're reaching out and educating other people. And then lastly, and this is probably the one that I get the most pushback from, people who identify as very liberal and on the left will tell you that they are allies. These are people who, yes, they are voting the way that I want them to vote. They're making sure that they're helping push policies that are helping us with equality as Black women. But it doesn't mean that you can't be racist. I've encountered a lot of white people on the left who really have done zero work when it comes to addressing their own racism and really don't want to do the uncomfortable work of anti-racism because that means that they have to admit that they are, in fact, part of the system of racism. Can you tell us why allies are necessary? So if you look at history, we've always had white allies. We're talking about the abolitionists during slavery, the civil rights movement, freedom riders. It's nothing new to have allies to help Black women and to help Black people. And they're necessary because, you know, unfortunately, Black women just don't have enough power in this country to drive change on our own. We really do need white people to help us. They have to use their privilege to confront racism. There's always situations that white people 
can speak up and stand up in the spaces that they don't see us. Challenge the powers that be and make them explain to you why it is that there are no Black women at those management and executive levels. We also need white people to be the main educators of other white people. When I've had white people demand a free education from me, and this is all the time, you know, you teach me about racism. You're the one who's saying we need to learn. You know, you teach me. It is a very harmful, painful, traumatic conversation for Black women to hear about all the ways that white people have been racist and to try to work with them to teach them how to be better. The information is already out there. They can just find it, ask us where it is. But, you know, the white people should be the primary accountability partners and educators of other white people. So let's talk about the handbook. What can readers and or potential allies expect from the book? How does the four-week schedule work? Readers can expect a very rigorous curriculum, as well as an urgency for them to take action. I purposely put questions in to make them self-reflect, and I also put scenarios in that they can role-play to help them really keep on the track of being an action-based ally. I purposely included questions and actions that are going to force them to not only consistently and constantly look within themselves, but to also pay attention to what's happening around them and to speak up about racism when they see it. The reason that I broke the book out into four weeks is because I wanted to keep people on a structured journey and not take five years to finish the book because we don't want to do that. Week one, they're being introduced to the topic of addressing and unlearning their own racism. And this is a really difficult but necessary part of ally work. And it's one of those things that as an ally you're going to do, you should be doing the rest of your life as an ally. I encourage them to seek out and follow Black female leaders and not just politicians. I'm talking about community leaders, business owners, you know, women who are just making significant change, but not necessarily just politically. I want them to embrace discomfort. Again, this is all still in week one. Discomfort is a gauge to see if you're actually growing in the work as an ally or if you're just shying away from situations where you feel uncomfortable. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. Acknowledge that because that's how you're going to be effective. Week two, I'm going to be talking to readers about the importance of listening to criticism when you're doing ally work. The reason that this is so important is because if you're being defensive and you're getting angry, it really means you're not listening to the education that you're getting. So if someone's taking the time to educate you, it's really important that you listen to that lesson. I also discuss white privilege in this chapter. And again, that's a really touchy subject with white people because they hear that term privilege as having money. White privilege really means that simply because you have white skin, you have privilege over someone like me who has black skin. So I end this week talking about how white women actually help white men stay in power because they like to be power adjacent to those men. And this is to the detriment of black women and really to all women. So if we go on to week three, we're going to discuss here how to transition from just reading and listening and internalizing things to taking action. And this is what I really need them to do. So we discuss the importance of educating and confronting people in your inner circle, I mean your family and friends. So it's a hard discussion to have, but it's a really important one. And that is where the real work is going to start. 
You have to get real also about your relationships and your friendships with Black women. You can't ignore race when you have a friend who is a Black woman or a Black person. If you're ignoring race and you think that this is some kind of a good thing, what you're saying is you don't think that's important enough to discuss. And you also don't think that that's an important part of who we are. And it is an extremely important part of who we are as Black people. And you're actually not really being a friend because you're prioritizing your own comfort over having a legitimate, deep, meaningful relationship or friendship. And then the last chapter is week four. There I discuss performative allyship and why it's dangerous to Black women and to ally work. I also talk about how to be silent and pass the mic on to Black women. And this is really important because you don't want to be the loudest voice in that space. You want to pass the mic to a Black woman um, and let us tell our stories and share our own experiences. I finish up the book with allowing people to kind of understand that you're going to be an ally, hopefully, for the rest of your life. You will always have things you need to learn. You will always have people you need to educate. So allyship is a lifetime commitment. There's no cutting corners. It's difficult work, but you know that is the work. And in working through the book, you recommend having a white accountability partner. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? I actually think that that's extremely important. And that is something that I talk about throughout the entire book. And it really comes back to getting white people to understand that I do not want or need to be your main person that educates you. I don't want people to come to me and demand a free education and then have to have me listen to it. It's just very traumatizing for us to listen to all of your stories of racism. So when you have a white accountability partner or a white accountability group, these are the people you're going to be able to bounce off questions and role play and work through scenarios and have a group of people that when you do misstep, you can talk to them about it. And then together you can figure out if you need to apologize, what you're apologizing for, and then all of you learn the lesson on how to be a better ally. This work cannot be done in a bubble. If you're not talking to someone about allyship or working with other white person about allyship, you're probably convincing yourself that you're doing the work and moving forward and becoming a better ally. But the odds are that if you're not working with someone else, you're doing little to no actual ally work. How can allies and potential allies better understand and continue learning what it is that Black women need from them? First and foremost, and this is something that I mentioned in the book too, you really need to join a racial justice group that is led by a Black woman and listen to our stories because we don't want or need other people to tell our stories and experiences. They're not going to tell them as accurately. You need to hear them directly from us. That's really going to be some of your best education. When you're in a racial justice group, what you also should be doing is paying attention to the other white people in the group and what they're saying, because you are going to get some of your best resources and some of your best ways to have difficult conversations from them. You should be seeking out white people who've been doing this work for 5, 10, 15, 20 years because they've been where you are and they're still learning and they're always going to be learning. These are going to be your best resources to get through those difficult conversations or to just how to start having those conversations. And they're they're going to be hard every time that you have them, but it makes a lot of difference when you have someone that you can actually talk about that conversation with before it happens and then break it down after it happens. You need a support system. It's really important that you have people to talk 
talk to and people who are just genuinely interested in ally work. The more you do this work, you'll really be able to find out the people who are really doing the work and the people who are kind of skating on the surface and you know not really doing much of anything. In the book, you mentioned that it is important for allies to listen more than they talk. Can you talk a little bit about this idea and then also what are some ways to get into this habit? Anytime that you're learning something new, it doesn't make any sense for you to talk more than the person trying to educate you. If you're talking more, then you're obviously not listening to the lesson that's someone's trying to instill in you. You're not internalizing. You're not going to move forward. Probably what's going on is that something has happened to make you very, very uncomfortable. So for example, you got called out. You said something racist and someone called you out. I think a knee-jerk reaction to that is to start defending yourself, which means you're talking over that person, trying to kind of lessen the impact of your actions or your words. And in that interaction, you're not listening. When something like that happens, you really just need to kind of sit with that lesson. And that is a term that I hear a lot of white people say, that, you know, I'm going to sit with what's being said to me. You can ask questions to clarify the conversation, clarify something that's happened in the conversation. But what you don't want to do is get so defensive and so upset that you stop learning. So listen in that moment. Don't defend yourself. Don't excuse what you did. Don't say that it wasn't your intention. One thing that we say a lot in ally work is the impact of your words and your actions are much more important than your intentions. You mentioned performative allyship. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and why is it so important to continually take concrete action to be a successful ally? Performative allyship is one of those things that I I think is very easy to fall into as a new ally because you're just learning the work and you're just, you're not really sure how to proceed in a lot of situations, but you're also looking for validation. And oftentimes you're looking for validation from the Black women who are maybe leading the racial justice group that you're in. What ends up happening is you're getting some, some good feedback and all of a sudden you've decided that you really, really like that feedback and that that is going going to be the focus of your quote unquote work. Now it's you're chasing that praise. So whatever you're doing, whatever you're saying, it's in the hope that someone who looks like me says, do you good job? That was really great. Oh my gosh, you're such a great ally. So now you've centered yourself over the actual work. When you're in a racial justice group, I think they stand out if you're paying attention. When I've encountered these other people who are hypercritical of other white people in the group, this is the person who decided they have kind of deputized themselves and they're going to be the person that points out the good and bad allies. And we don't ask them to do that. We don't see people as simply just good and bad allies. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Hopefully everyone's going to attempt to learn from them. But you know, we don't, we don't point out this good and bad ally thing. But performative allies are really good at doing that. One big tell with a performative ally is that when you call them out, they refuse to be called out. They'll say, nope, I don't I don't want to do that. I don't think I did anything wrong. It's typically not when a Black woman calls them out. When another white person calls them out, they just refuse to have that person teach them anything because according to them, they already know everything. And that's a really, really big red flag. They consider themselves to be the best ally, a friend to us. But this is also someone who holds us to such a ridiculously high standard that if we make the decision on any given day that what they did 
was incorrect or something that they said was incorrect, then we become the target. I've definitely had performative allies turn on me and kind of try to pit me against other Black women. And of course, that doesn't work, but they're angry because I have no longer given them the praise and worship, or I never gave them the praise and worship that they wanted. And it's just very, very frustrating, and it's very, very harmful. That's why as an ally, you have to constantly push back against your own internal racism and against racism everywhere, like I said, including family and friends. As an ally, you're always looking at ways to be educated, to to work on your own um, education and to add to your library of resources, which is really important because your resources are going to be the things that you use to educate other people. These are the things you go back to time and time again when you encounter situations where you need to provide someone with reading materials or a documentary to watch or what have you. And that is the real work. You have to take action because action is where we're going to have real sustainable change. In the book, you mention the Real Talk Women of Color and Allies for Racial Justice and Anti-Oppression Facebook group as a space for white women to learn to be allies. Can you tell listeners more about this Facebook group? I understand there's a mentoring component available here. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that as well? I wanted to have a safe space for women of color to have conversations amongst ourselves, but I also want to create a space where white women could learn how to be allies. So we've been doing a three-week training, I think for the past five years, and it's, it's, it's become really popular. This is a way for white women to kind of jumpstart their ally journey. There are several white women who act as mentors, and so they're the ones running the training. And this is a really good way for white women to really understand within those three weeks how to address their own racism and really what it means to be an effective ally and what it means to take action. So one of the things I also talk about in that group is being able to either do a call out for someone else who has misstepped and the importance of when you get called out of just listening and learning from that experience. Within Real Talk and also within these mentorings that go on for, again, the three weeks, we take people into a separate room called a mending room when they misstep and a situation happens where they need to address some harm that they caused. What happens in these spaces is that either one or more white women will work with them to talk about what happened in that situation and where they went wrong. And we want them to have a thorough understanding of it because going forward, we want them to do better and to teach that lesson to other white people. And if it makes sense, we want them to write an apology to the women of color that they harmed. Or if it's even like a general situation where maybe the the harm didn't happen in real talk, we still might have them write an apology and kind of explain what happened because the goal is to have something educational come out of every interaction. And I've heard that these are things that white women keep notes of and they use them as a resource to teach other people. And when I'm paying attention and listening to what's going on in these situations, I'm very impressed at the kind of level of education, grace, intelligence, forethought, and understanding that happens in these spaces. And we've really progressed a long way in five years. What are some ways to be an ally at the public library? And how can the public library assist potential allies in their journeys? 
I think one of the best ways that public libraries can be allies to Black women, to Black people, to other marginalized communities is really commit to understanding where your own biases stand because we are working with the public. So we want to make sure that we're checking in with ourselves just to make sure that we're treating everyone the way that we should be. And I think it's really hard in the moment when you're in a really busy library to kind of check in with yourself and see, are you treating this person? differently because of how they look or how they dress or, you know, something about them that is different from you that you don't like or understand. In public libraries, I think we have to commit to actively listening, even when it's difficult or even when we're making assumptions about that person, again, based on how they look. We can plan programs that are really going to help our communities in need. And I think that libraries, public libraries are really, really good at this. I think the thing that we could be better at is to allow your public to kind of drive what those programs look like. Reach out to them and ask them what they need and what they want to see in the library. In communities that are marginalized and really in need of resources, it's important that we reach out to local organizations in the communities and build those relationships. These are the organizations that know the people in those neighborhoods way better than we do. And so we can learn a lot from them. And it goes a lot further than just looking at the demographics. We have to listen to the stories. We have to understand what they've been lacking in that community and how we can help them get those things. Look around you at the library staff. What does it look like? We have to ask ourselves as librarians, why is it that the further up we go with management levels and what have you, why is it that you don't see Black women or why is it that you don't see any diversity at those levels? We're really not reflecting our society when it's looking very homogenous up at those upper levels. Ask yourself why, because you may not think that your community notices that because they have a library. The community absolutely will notice that nobody looks like them. For any of our listeners who decide to embark on an allyship journey, do you have any tips or advice? I would say if you are just starting your ally journey, it is a really good idea. I think I mentioned this earlier to join a racial justice group because you're going to have allies at every level and they'll be very welcoming. And these are the people that can give you the tips. Obviously, I would say read my book because it is going to be for you know allies at every level, but definitely for people who are just starting and thinking about being an ally. I would say go into those racial justice spaces being open. Check your privilege check your defensiveness. Don't get angry because you're going to have people call you out on some of your words. Be open to listening. Also pay attention to what's going on around you outside of that racial justice group. What's being said in your own household? Pay attention to what your friends say. If you're a parent, consider again what you're showing your child. If everyone around them is white, if their entire school is white, if all their teachers are white, how do you think that your child as they grow up is going to learn about the challenges that the Black child has in the county over? How are they going to understand that this inequality that I see as a Black woman and that I know is happening in the school systems, how are they going to understand that? Allyship cannot start early enough. You know, you can definitely start teaching your two-year-old about skin color because they see it. That was Leisha Michelle, author of the White Allies Handbook, Four Weeks to Join the Racial Justice Fight for Black Women. The book, which is published by Kensington Books, will be on sale July 26, 2022. For more on this topic, check out Leisha's Facebook group, Real Talk, Women of Color and Allies for Racial Justice and Anti-Oppression. Thanks for listening. 